Hello and welcome to the Blue Pea Leader podcast. And I'm your host and the founder of Blue Pea Pod, Ruth Sanderson. If you want to become a leader of an organization where people feel alive and fully contribute, one that really understands who you are, lets you contribute your talents, live your purpose and make a difference. Listen in now as we share the latest practical ideas and techniques to experience authentic success through leadership. Welcome to the Blue Pea Leader. I'm Ruth Sanderson and in this episode I want to talk about the six levels of change and what as a leader you need to understand about this in order to affect change easier than maybe you're finding it. I mean let's face it, around the world today employees are reporting that change is a constant in organisations and whilst the focus may currently be on how technology is driving change, mainly through artificial intelligence, then I would say the reality is different. Change is happening at an unprecedented pace due to mergers and acquisitions, leadership transitions, which are frequently followed by restructuring. And if you add to this regulatory changes and how politics is influencing and impacting business, it's easy to understand why employees feel that big change is affecting their day-to-day working lives at many, many different levels. Now, McKinsey reported that 70% of change management programs fail. So we know that leading change isn't easy. I mean, I know from personal experience of leading change and from supporting leaders through change that it isn't easy. And yes, there is a high failure rate or ineffective, inefficient rate. But when a leader understands the different levels of change that are happening in their organisation, it's possible to plan and prepare to lead the change in a way that actually sets their organisation up to be part of the 30% of change programmes that succeed. And it does, in fact, make a difference. So I'm going to share with you the six levels of change that great leaders take time to understand. Now, a guy called Robert Diltz, is an organisational psychologist and he's done a huge amount of research on change and organisational learning. Fascinating stuff. His research demonstrated that change occurs at multiple levels in an organisation. He identified six. For change to be sustainable, it needs to happen and be supported at more than one level. That when change occurs at a lower level... It's generally found that results are less sustainable and a leader can often identify what level a person or team or even an organisation is at by the nature of conversations people are having, the questions that they're asking and the language that the person is using. In other words, it's down to your active listening skills and sensory awareness and it will give you massive amounts of information. So what are these six levels that he identified? So from low to high, then we start with environment, we move to behaviour, we have capability, and then as we get to the higher levels, we have beliefs and values, we have identity, and we have purpose. So let's have a closer look at each of these and uh, explore them in an organisational context. So firstly, environment. Here you can think about things such as the office environment that your team works in. Remembering that for virtual colleagues, this could mean working from home, a local office hot desk, or at times, (laughs) 
a cafe or local businesses, a business centre that's got workstations. But also consider the environments of your different clients, the environment that influences how people work. Today we're so familiar with things being open plan, but this hasn't always been the case. I mean, pre the noughties, if you worked in an office, it was highly likely that you would have your own office. Yes, I remember those days. And then there was also the thing about the size of your office and whether you had a window or not and what you overlooked. I mean, there was there was a few other things that went with it. But the downside with having that kind of boxed environment, you could say, was that colleagues didn't necessarily communicate. Departments were maybe even more siloed than they can be today. So one of the elements of moving to open plan offices was that it encouraged communication, collaboration, easier interaction. Ironically, recent research shows that large open plan offices are now impacting productivity as the number of distractions has got so great. So, as they say with many things, there is a sweet spot. The point here is, if you make changes to a person's work environment, it can change their results. Then look at the second one, behaviour. This corresponds to what you're doing. Remember those early days as a leader when you thought you had to have the answer to every single question somebody asked you. Then you realised you were being asked the same questions six months later. And it was only when you stopped answering their questions and started coaching them and using indirect questioning, etc, etc, that your team started coming up with their own ideas. Change what you're doing and you get a different result. So then let's go a little deeper. Capability. The simplest way to think about capability is how well a person does a behaviour. When you first became a manager, some of you will have found it so easy telling your team what to do. However, when it came to coaching and asking questions, maybe that wasn't so easy for you. You could understand why your team wouldn't do what you did. After all, I mean, you were so successful, so why wouldn't they just follow on? But over time, you mastered the skill of asking great open questions. Conversely, you might be somebody who found coaching and asking great questions dead easy. However, there were times when you needed to step up and be more direct, be more tell, more instructional, and that didn't come so naturally for you. So being more directional was something that you had to learn. And now can move easily between the two leadership styles as and when each one is required, fit for purpose. So both are examples of how a leader has developed their capabilities over time. What Robert Diltz explains in his research is that it isn't just about the skills a person has, but how we use our brains that is important. Only when we choose to use our brain can we develop our capability to use a skill which in turn will result in changing our behaviours. Now we're going a little deeper. So, values and beliefs. I'm going to clarify what I mean by values and beliefs. In business, the word that's often used that relates to values is motivation. I mean, you know, sometimes in an interview, who hasn't been asked what motivates you? But it's not the greatest way to find out what's really driving somebody and their decision making and what gets them out of bed in the morning. A better way of doing this is saying to the person what's important to you. Because if you think about it, let's take something quite simple. (laughs) Your Saturday night with friends and family. 
You don't sit around going, ooh, what's your values? But you do, however, talk to them about something that's important to them. So you might turn around and ask them about a holiday that they're planning. And as they're chatting about their holiday, they might turn around and say, oh, do you know what? I'm so looking forward to the time to relax and just, you know, just chill and, and just and see some different sights. And what they're doing is they're telling you what's important to them. They're revealing their values. So what about beliefs? Well, a belief is an internal feeling that we have that something is true. It can actually be unproven, but the person still feels it's true. Some people refer to it as an opinion or it's a thought that we keep on thinking. And we know that any of us can change our opinion or how we think, usually after we've been introduced to some new ideas or concepts, data or a different experience. So how do values and beliefs relate to change? Well, from a leadership perspective, it's the beliefs that we hold about ourselves and what we're capable of that influence our success not only in work, but actually in all parts of life. And if something is important to us, say achieving a promotion, we will be more driven to want to make changes to what we believe about ourselves, about others, about what's possible, and what actions we can take as a result. The challenge with beliefs is that often we're unconscious about some of the opinions we hold about ourselves or others. And yet we actually continue to express our beliefs in everyday conversations through certain words and phrases. So as a leader, take time to understand what's important to your team members and listen out for the kind of beliefs people hold about themselves. What do they think they're capable of? So as an example, you know, a classic one I use is, you know, people are scared of, of um, maybe making presentations. It's a common fear. But there's a difference between somebody turning around and saying, I don't know what to do here to do a great presentation, or I don't know what to do to feel confident when I present, and somebody saying, I'll never be a great presenter. One is around capability, one is around belief. So as a result, as you, as you listen to people talking, then as a leader, you're in position to coach and support the individual to make changes that will help them overcome the challenges and hurdles at the level they're experiencing them. So let's go even deeper. Identity. Identity is closely related to the beliefs as it's about who we are or who we believe ourselves to be. So Robert Diltz says, It is our perception of our identity that organises our beliefs, capabilities and behaviours into a single system. So then our identity is a vast collection of these beliefs we hold and what's important to us about all the many aspects of our life. You quite often get a glimpse into the identity element somebody has about themselves when they hear a phrase that starts with, I am. Lastly, purpose. Now purpose is about how we see ourselves fitting into the wider world, including our professional life, family and the communities we are part of just to name a few. You could say it's our, it's where we meet everything else. It's about what you're part of that's more important to you than just yourself. So think of it as something that you feel so passionate about and connected to that if you needed to, you would make tremendous personal sacrifices for them or the cause. We're living in a world in a time where technology allows people to connect and collaborate in ways that we haven't before. 
People want to contribute to the wider society and the world in a way that has specific meaning for them. Purpose, then, is vital. So what does all of this mean for you as a leader, how you can lead and how you can manage change? Well, if you're planning to implement a piece of change, through knowing your team, you already have insight into how they usually deal with the change. Some people love it, some people... So you kind of get their their usual baseline responses, which means you have some idea of how each team member may respond to what's about you're about to announce as the change and what they see as some of the barriers. But be careful here, don't prejudge, don't decide what something somebody's going to do, but you will have some kind of indication. So how do the levels of change that I've talked about help you in identifying the root cause of barriers that a specific person is posing for themselves? So I've said when you listen to a person's language, that will give you clues as to what's important to them and which level they're talking about. So here's some examples. I usually get the dancing started at parties. That would be environment and behaviour. I get the dancing started is a behaviour. At parties is an environment. Might take me a little longer in the office. I like to change. I like to change a lot. I like to challenge a lot. Behaviours. I'm not very good at sharing my ideas. I'm good at delegating. They're examples of capability. People should be honest and say what they are thinking. Belief. I want to be healthier and fitter would be an example of value. That's just the kind of person I am. Identity. So having identified a level that somebody's talking at, you can ask questions to explore what's contributing to their resistance around the change. So, again, some examples. Let's say we're talking, somebody's made a statement in a behavioural context or behavioural level. We could turn around and say, what do you feel or what do you think when that happens? Let's say somebody's made a statement that's around the value level. We could turn around and say, what's important to you about that? If somebody said something and it's around the belief level, we could say, what are you making this mean? If somebody's saying something around identity, you could turn around and say, when you do what you'd have just described, what does that say about you as a person? Another value example. What does that achieve for you? All of these give us more information, which means we have more ability to help the person. But actually, by asking these questions, it also makes the person more self-aware and in some cases allows the person to test the validity of what they've just said and find alternative ways of of moving forward. I have seen occasionally asking one of these questions, the person's had such a realisation that I kind of call it a kaplunk moment. When I was a kid, there was a game called kaplunk. Basically, you had a tall tower, it was filled with straws, and then you put a load of marbles on top. Now, in the game of Kaplunk, what you wanted to do was withdraw a straw and have no marbles drop down. Occasionally, you withdrew a straw and lots of marbles dropped down. That was you losing. However, it's kind of like reverse Kaplunk then. So you ask a question, and it causes such a shift for the person that it's 
the all the marbles drop. In this case, so the person's like, wow, okay, whoosh, major shift. It's magic. So once you have a deeper understanding of where they're at, you have a better idea of how you can support that person through the change. However, by coaching the person at the level they're experiencing a challenge at, you'll be supporting them to create a sustainable change. Now, one thing I want to say is that when change happens at a higher level, or maybe the alternative way of phrasing it is at a deeper level, so values, beliefs, identity, it's going to impact the lower levels of capability and behaviour. Conversely, making a change at a lower level, such as environment or behaviour, rarely has the same impact on values, beliefs, identity or purpose. So the next time you're planning change, identify at what level you want to implement the change. What level of, of is the change going to impact might be another way of thinking about it. And this will allow you to plan your approach as to how you're going to change the way the team are thinking, which is beliefs. Change the way they approach the task, which would behaviour and be, be a behaviour capability element. And my final question for you to reflect on is what level do you usually experience the most resistance at with your team? And now you know what you know, how do you think you could handle this going forwards? Until next time. <laughs>